It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me today for a really important topic about how we engage with our friends and family when it comes to conversations about politics. Oh, I know. It's one of the toughest things we face these days, especially as we get into the holiday season where we're surrounded by people at parties, in each other's homes and get togethers. I have the perfect guest to get us through this. And I promise at the end of our conversation, you're going to feel hopeful. Denise Grace Gitsum has written a really wonderful book called Politics for People Who Hate Politics, How to Engage Without Losing Your Friends or Selling Your Soul. Denise is a respected political commentator and faith writer, and she urges all of us to engage in politics in a manner worthy of Christ. She says it's time to flip the script on politics as usual by loving those we disagree with. And I really like that way of thinking. I hope we get into the holiday season and remember the simple lessons Denise wants us to all think about as we get together during Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. Her messages are universal. So please welcome Denise Grace Gitsum to the Janistine Podcast. Denise Gitsum, thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Janice. Now, listen, we're getting into the holidays. We're going to be around the dinner table with people who might not agree with us. Uh, (laughs) You know, this book, the timing of it is excellent. Politics for people who hate politics. Uh, Tell me what was the general idea of why you wanted to write this book? So I've been in politics for 24 years now. I almost need to stop counting at this point. And I've been at so many holiday dinners that were just kind of difficult, and if not downright painful. And, I, you know, we all, none of us are political twins. I've given that I've been in politics for so long. I've learned that even if you are closely aligned on 98% of issues, you can find division creeps up based on the 2% that you disagree on. And most mm. of us aren't even that close. And so... Having had a love-hate relationship with politics for as long as I have, because I really do think that we live in an incredible country where we are blessed to be able to be good stewards of the gift God has given us to participate in this amazing government. I still think that there's so much that we can do to improve it. And so I just wanted to write a book that really called people to a higher standard of how they engage. It's This book is not about what we engage in. I will never be able to play the role that only God can play in your role, which is to change your mind about something. My job is never to do that. I respect where people are on the political spectrum. But what I really want to do is to call us to a higher place using principles from the Bible and just practical psychological principles to think twice, cause us to think twice about how it is that we engage with people on these issues. Mm. So tell me how we do that. Yeah, well, there's so many tips in the book. Um, Some of them I actually got from my pastor who happens to be African-American. I'm not. And he leads this incredible church in San Diego called The Rock Church. And we call ourselves a Skittles church. So we have people that come from every, every part of the political, ethnic, and racial background. And I wrote a book with him in 2017 called The Third Option about bridging racial divide in America. And a lot of the practical tips I've actually picked up from just being in that church, doing life with people that are different 
differently than us, and also helping him write this book, as well as just from my own faith. The Bible is chock full of wisdom, but never more so than about how we engage with each other and relate to each other and love one another. So some of the top things that I think, if there were three that I could give you and your listeners, it would be learning how to speak the truth in unequivocal truth and uncompromising love. I think so often people tend to say, and I've definitely done this, and trust me, let me just put this disclaimer out early on. I am may have written the book, but I am no master on these issues. I am definitely not nailed it. I screw up so often when I engage in politics that this book is a reminder to me. But one of the things that I think is so important that we don't define truth as love. Truth, Jesus says, you know, speak the truth in love. And he clearly, like the Bible clearly defines what love is. If you've ever been to a wedding, 1 Corinthians 13 is read there and it tells you exactly what love is, but it's really sprinkled out throughout scripture. And so um, when we, the heart of the truth, my principle is the heart of the truth you have to speak, the more love you need to do it in. The other thing I think it's really important is to try to understand where other people come from. Nobody has a lock on all the truth. None of us. We are all flawed. We see things from our own perspectives. And so one of the ways we do that is really approaching people with curiosity and asking them why they believe the things that they do. I just think that's such an important starting point for any conversation. And then I think it's really important to be really wise about the people that we get behind, the people that we cast our votes for. So often we're willing to take people at first glance and just say, hey, these people believe this so-and-so, so I'm just going to get behind them. Never realizing that when we align so closely with somebody else as our sort of leader or the person that we cast our support behind, that people start to identify us as being similar to them. So it's really important that I write in this chapter called Wise as Serpents. It's, it comes from a biblical principle of being innocent doves and wise as serpents. And I think there's so many things that we can do to better vet the people that we get behind. So we're making sure we cast our votes for the right people. Hmm. Now, you consider yourself as an ambassador of heaven. Tell us what that means. <laughs> I love well, that. Say, let, me, let me say this. I would like to be worthy of the title. I know that I am because that's who God says that we are. Um, but it says in scripture that we should be in the world, but not of it. And what does that mean? You know, so so many Christians, I think, fall on, on either side of this issue where they think, you know, the only purpose of us being here is to love God and love others and just go to heaven and kind of be of no earthly use. You're so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly use. And, and I get that temptation because it's easier to just hide and stay away from the divisive things of this world and not get your hands dirty. But that's not what God, God called us to this earth to do. We are called to be good stewards of the gifts he's given us. And I think that it's so important that when we show up, we realize that, yes, our citizenship is in heaven. When we accept Jesus, we become Christians. We become saints. We completely transformed in our very identity because we take on the identity as God's children. But we're still operating in this earth. And as any ambassador would for any country, I mean, we can walk down the street, down an embassy row here in D.C., and there's all kinds of ambassadors, residences, and embassies, and they're always having parties. And when you walk into one of those embassies, you may never have visited that country, but you can get a sense of what it's like and what they stand for mm -hmm. based on how they treat you, based on what you see there and what you learn about them. So we're to be representatives of love, the very thing Jesus calls us to in all of our interactions. Mm -hmm. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this.
Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. So you've spent a long time in politics. What made you get into this business? <laughs> the business of, of loving people. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I did politics wrong for so long that this book is really a mea culpa. Uh, you know, when you're young and you're eager, I got in when I was 22 years old in 1999. I've been watching you on TV forever, by the mm. way, all of that time. And um, I worked on the Bush campaign. I was in the belly of the beast in the strategy department working for Carl Rove in Austin, Texas. And I didn't know how to do politics. I got this job straight out of college. So I just looked around me and the people on the campaign were remarkable human beings. I mean, truly exemplary. But, you know, they were super partisan because that's what you got to do when you're on a campaign. And it really wasn't until I switched out of being a political operative and became the candidate myself. I ran for Congress in 2016 in San Diego that all the things that I said I believed in were put to the test because it's easy to hide behind a campaign or a candidate and throw stones. It's kind of like being a social media troll. But it's different when you're actually on stage debating your opponent or you have horrible things said about you and you're called to respond in a manner worthy of Christ. It's just a very different standard and it challenged me to be better than I want it to be. Hmm. What do you tell people today watching this very divisive political landscape? (laughs) Don't give up. (laughs) I think the temptation for all of us, certainly me, and I'm sure anybody involved in politics, we all have this love-hate relationship where we just get overwhelmed at times with the divisiveness and the hatred and the anger. I mean, you just want to go to an island and get a tan and kind of a fruity drink and never come back. And I, I get that. I so get that. And I've been there. And I think sometimes it's really healthy to be there. Sometimes it's healthy to take a break from what we're we're ingesting, like in our mind and what we're mulling over. But I just, I feel like there's got to be a place where we decide that we have to get in a headspace where we're okay, whether we're in the middle of the most divisive conversation or not. We have to decide in advance that we're going to cling to the principles of loving well and unifying with our fellow Americans so that we can save this incredible country that we have built for the last 200 plus years. I mean, it's a decision that we have to make to cling to unity, which has nothing to do with conformity. But to decide that as Americans, we have more in common than we don't and that we're going to find the best in each other so that we can get through this process and these divisive election seasons and Thanksgiving dinner and do it well and leave people better off for us having been there. Hmm. I see one of the quotes in your book um, was from Senator Tim Scott, and we got the news this week that he dropped out of the presidential race, which was disheartening for me. I I really like him as a person. Uh, I think he brings goodness uh, to um, a field that can be very toxic. Um, You know, what did you think about that? I just loved him in every way, shape, and form. He's honestly a spiritual mentor of mine and a dear friend. And I actually think he likes my mom more than he likes me. But he (laughs) he's one of those people who is so consistent. One of the things that I love about certain people who are, and this is true whether you're a politician or not, 
was there's a book that I read called Integrity by Dr. Henry Cloud years ago, probably over a decade ago. And one of the things, and it talks about how your external, who you present to the world has to be aligned with who you are inside or you're living a double life and it's exhausting. And one thing I love about Tim that I find to be really rare, and I, I say this, like it's hard for me to do as well, is that who you are in private is who you are in public. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's no daylight between who he is when he's on a stage and who he is in interpersonal relationships. The integrity level that he holds himself to is one that God set, not man. And so I've learned a lot from him. He's actually rebuked me many times when I get super political and really helped call me to a higher standard in how I engage in politics. But what I think is so interesting about him dropping out is what he said, which is he said, you know, God called me to run, but he didn't necessarily call me to win. Mm. And I can really relate to that because when I ran in 2016, Republicans were elected everywhere, but we had a difficult down ticket um, race from Trump in 2016 in San Diego because that wasn't a district or an area that went for Trump. And so um, I had to learn, I had to reconcile that, that what he said basically yesterday, which is, God did call me to run. I was there to change the conversation, to elevate the tone. There were other reasons. There were things God was doing in my life to refine me. That's part of the reason I wrote the book is because I ran. It was probably the major catalyst. And so there, there's so many other bigger things of God that can be done through a process that really makes you stretch yourself. And I really think Tim has never had a difficult election ever. He's always breezed right through every single campaign he's ever had. It's like God just opened doors for him. So I'm sure he'll be doing a lot of reflecting about why God closed this one. But the fact that he's content in knowing that this was God's plan for him, I believe he made a difference in just the conversation. I I believe he made a difference on the debate stage. And I think people held themselves to a higher standard because he was in the room. I do, too. You know, he was one of the few that just was really true to himself and wasn't you know, in it for the sound bites or to be cruel. Uh, that's something right. that can be very, you know, turns me off uh, me too. to see the cruelty and, you know, attacks on stage. I know that it's part of it now, unfortunately. How did you, where does your faith come from? You know, I was raised um, by parents who were immigrants and really lived the American dream. And they, they really taught me that trusting in yourself was almost more important than trusting in God. They are wonderful people and they are strong people of faith now. My dad just passed away, but the closer he got to the end of his life, the stronger he became in his faith. And my mom became a Christian at the age of 74. She's 84 now. Mm. And so I wasn't raised with um, any sort of context for God, but a high school teacher in a public high school in California pulled me aside one day between classes and just said, you know, I've noticed that you're so hung up on grades. One thing your listeners and you don't know is that I'm half Chinese. So I was raised by a tiger mom. Mm. So if you weren't getting straight A's, you were basically everything kind of uh, your confidence, I guess, who you were as a person was judged based on what you achieved. And I was struggling in this class and this teacher knew that I was bad at science. And so he just pulled me over and he said, why are you so like worked up about this grade? And I said, well, because if I don't get into Harvard, my mom's going to kill me. Mm. And and he said, you know, Denise, there's so many greater things in life. God has such a bigger purpose for your life than just killing yourself or putting your self-worth based on what you do. And he started, and immediately my heart started to soften. And even as a 15-year-old growing up in America, I had never heard the gospel 
ever. It's crazy. I'd gone to Sunday school. I'd gone to church, but I'd never heard it given to me so simply. And God just knew what I needed in the moment. And he showed me that he loved me and that had nothing to do with what I could achieve or accomplish. And that transformed my life. Mm -hmm. What did you tell your mom? When I went home, well, I didn't say anything to her <laughs> because I was afraid she'd think that that would get in the way of achieving. And one of the things about being a Christian is that it actually, God calls us to be excellent doing things as if unto the Lord. Mm. So there became a new standard. I was excellent at what I did. I gave it 110% to everything that I've done, but it's not because I'm trying to achieve the motivation change. The outcome didn't. Mm. There's a lot of prayer in, in this book, which which I like. Um, you know, at the end of most chapters, you've got a prayer. What, mm -hmm. what you know, passage do you find yourself going back to a lot? Personally, my sort of life, it changes every year, but one of my life verses is, um, and this is especially true when I ran for Congress, was John 15, 5, which says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's in red, so it's from Jesus. And what he's saying is we, everything we do, whatever we do, whatever we engage in, any opportunity we take hold of, any, you know, any failure we have, anything that we, we experience in this life, no matter how we try to work our way out of it or through it or achieve it, whatever we, any strength that we have comes from God. And so remembering that apart from him, I can do nothing really helps keep me in check because it helps me realize that everything I have is from the Lord. And so everything is for his glory. It's never about selfish ambition for me. It's never, it has been in the past. I, again, I say this with all humility because I have not arrived. I think that's such an important thing for people to realize. This walking out is a process that takes a lifetime and, and I'll never get there. But it's my goal to never allow anything to get in the way or delude me into thinking that anything comes from anyone but God. Hmm. Do you think you'd run again? I'll do whatever the Lord says. One thing I've never tried to do is to map out the next steps in my life. Um, scripture says, without a vision, the people perish. I have a vision for my life. But also it says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And so I'm looking at the very next step at this phase of my life. I will do whatever the Lord calls. I have no desire to run for office, to be clear. Zero. Um, I really that really died the day that I lost, not because I was sad about losing, but because I feel like I'm much more effective operating outside of the political sphere, um, but having conversation about it. I think what you do in the media is so influential, but that's really where I feel like God's leading me next. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that because it just shapes conversations. But if God calls me somewhere to run again, I'll do it if that's what he asks me to do, and I'll depend on him to get me through. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Talk about victim mentality. You hear <laughs> you hear that a lot these days, yes. you know, me, 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 why me, uh, yeah. instead of a broader meeting. Yes. So scripture, again, I, I always go back to scripture. And again, this book can be read by anybody because these faith principles are applicable to all people, regardless of your faith or lack thereof. But it does say over and over in scripture, something that psychologists would also tell you, which is that none of us are actually victims. We're all victors. And in scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's Steph Curry, my favorite NBA players. Hmm. Life verse, Philippians 4.13. And, um, you know, Tim Scott, reiterated this theme throughout his life in spite of really challenging an upbringing, a childhood that was really fraught with trauma. He was said, look, 
you're, that doesn't, that reality doesn't define me. God defines me. And if, if I have, if God is for me, who can be against me? That's in the book of Romans. And so we see throughout scripture so many times when the Israelites and God's chosen people, and then later on the rest of the people who decided to follow him, they were oppressed on all sides, but they always had victory because it doesn't always look like victory to the outside world. What, what God defines as victory is really a spiritual state of knowing your future and your hope is in God and what he's gonna bring to pass in your life, but also that there's peace. Peace is the ultimate state of victory. Overcoming is something that we're able to do when we're at peace with the reality of our lives. We're resilient enough to step into God's strength and then we're able to press through with his endurance and overcome whatever adversity comes against us. There's nothing that cannot be overcome with God. Well, what do you say to people that turn on the news and see what sees you know what's happening in Israel? Um, you know, oh, yeah, they're into yeah. a war of their lifetime right now. It's yeah. it's very disheartening and it's hard you know, now more than ever, we need to believe in God. But sometimes you wonder why God is putting people through this. I know. And this is something it's interesting that you bring this up. Um, in the beginning of this war, I, could, I didn't understand why I had such heaviness. Every morning I'd wake up, see the news and I would just weep. And it's not just because I have a, you know, a, an attachment to Israel. I mean, I've been and I have incredible friends that are that live in Israel and that are Jewish that I just have such empathy for. Um, I think the the extent of anti-Semitism throughout the world is something that we've not really paid attention to or done very much about for some reason. Um, and so that breaks my heart that Hamas took it upon itself to not only wage war against Israel, but also to strap on body cams and to show the world how badly they hated mm. Israel. And and so my heart breaks. Um, I think that one thing area that I've been really challenged is in is, you know, scripture says to love your enemies. And it's been really easy to see things as black and white in the situation. And I believe there's truth. I believe that Israel is absolutely in its right to defend itself. I believe that there needs to be a war that ends Hamas. However, the challenge has been in finding compassion for other people on the other side of the conflict. And so the Lord has really been pressing into me to say, can you have compassion for the poor innocent victims, the women and children who are being used as human shields by Hamas and are being our casualties of war that has nothing to do with them, mm. right? They're innocent. And so as much compassion as I have for everyone in Israel who's been kidnapped and bombed and raided and, and all the horrific things you saw and decapitated and raped. The women were horrifically raped. These are things that are just pure evil, but also recognizing that on the other side, people are suffering as well. I think it's so important to hold both sides in tension. And also, I think the final thing I would say on this is whenever I get into that place where I really look at one set of people as evil or bad, I have to remember that these are spiritual, these are principalities at war. These people are just people. These are, this is evil personified through a person that wasn't ever created to carry out that kind of evil. So directing my prayers against the source of the evil, which is the spiritual battle, as opposed to the people is really, really important for me to keep my love on. Hmm. You, I mean, you conveyed that beautifully. Uh, i it, this has been so difficult uh, because while we are so sympathetic uh, to what is happening, you know, you can't also not feel for the people that are just 
there in that situation that did not you know, didn't put themselves there for that right. purpose of evil. Um, right. So thank you for that. Um, why is it important for Christians to in, be engaged in politics? To me, stewardship is something that applies much more broadly than how we talk about it in church with regards to finances. Stewarding God's gift, which in this case, and I say this as a daughter of immigrants, my mother, my grandfather was a two-star general with Chiang Kai-shek, my Chinese mother, and then, and she escaped communist China when she was nine years old. They went to Taiwan and they set up a new government, but the reality of communism and really having no say in how you're governed or giving it up and making the government God is a reality in our family. And so I went, I was a missionary in China when I was in my twenties, I think was in college. And I actually was detained by the police while I was there. And so I knew that I kind of tasted my, I got my first taste of what it might be like to not have any freedom and have no recourse, no justice. Um, Thankfully I was freed and I was able to come home, but that experience really shook me and it made me appreciate the freedoms that we have in America. And so to me, stewarding that gift of freedom is the greatest thing that we can do as somebody who's involved in politics. This to me is the essence of who we are as Americans and the very founding principles we were established upon. And so I think it's so important that we don't take those freedoms for granted. Ronald Reagan always reminded us that it was only a generation, that within a generation it could be lost. And Christians need to realize that the freedoms that we, we do have here are not things that will be preserved. And this is not just true for Christians, it's true for everybody. But we have a special calling to be good stewards of that gift God has given us and to ask him where he wants us to take that. And the only way to be able to be involved is to really engage civically. When I talk about politics, I think people think, oh, it's like running for office or something. No, that's only that's really like a very small percentage of us, thankfully, because most of us don't want to be in the crosshairs. And I can hardly blame you. You're busy. You have lives. You have things much more important to do than going and running for office. What I talk about is we need to steward the gift of, of just being able to be a participant in our government and shaping it. So that goes that's anything. Anything in the civic arena is a, is a matter of stewardship that we get involved. Hmm. And give me some examples of that. Yeah. So, I mean, you mean in terms of how, how we, we can, can stand be up? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at what, what's going on, you've, you've seen really in the wake of COVID, COVID was such an awakening for so many people yes. in terms of what the role of government ought to be and what it shouldn't be in our lives. And you've seen so many parents stand up and say, hold on, I never really thought about things this way mm-hmm. until we had government mandates. Or I never really considered or even went to school meetings or understood what the PTA did or why an administration at a school was so important to determining what my kids are learning. But I feel like that era where we were able to step back and take a break from sort of life as usual really gave us a new perspective and and really a more critical lens through which we viewed the world. And I'm grateful for that because suddenly people are awakening to the fact that there are forces, there are agendas that are shaping our lives, our kids' lives, and how we how we do business and how we engage, even in church. I mean, churches were closed all throughout California during COVID. And so suddenly people are saying, hold on a second, I have the ability to change that. I'm an American. And so I feel like people are really starting to think about what they can do 
at the civic level from being a poll worker to making sure that we have election integrity by making sure that people aren't cheating and, and really being guardians of the poll, if you will. Um, you know, I go out with the Republican National Lawyers Association every couple of years and ensure that you know, I do poll watching myself and ensure that the laws of the state that I'm in are followed. And then there's a million other things. I mean, voting is the most essential, important thing that you can do. But just getting engaged in some way in your own future, taking responsibility for that in some way, shape or form, whether it's running for office at the top, you know, at the most engaged level or just participating in a town hall just locally. Those are all important things to do, and it models for the next generation how we can become good stewards, how they can become good stewards of what we've been so blessed to have. I think that's excellent. You know, and you're right. I've never been more involved in my kids' schools uh, from, you know, emailing teachers and going to meetings. Um, I think that's something we have to do as parents. Uh, that's probably our most important role uh, is to be involved in our kids' lives. And that means, you know, being involved in our in our schools. Um, Absolutely. And I learned that after COVID. Uh, so that, you know, that was certainly <laughs> right. a, a silver lining. You know, I think about our friend Shannon Bream, mm -hmm. who has uh, sometimes she brings on politicians from both side of sides of the aisle and brings them together to talk about their faith. Be, mm -hmm. And it's such a beautiful moment. I love when she does this because it's this common thread uh, that we can all get behind, right? We might have difference politically speaking, but if we can talk about our faith and why it's important to go to church and have something higher to aspire to, that that's really encouraging to me. It is so encouraging and I love that she does that yes. because it's so important to know that neither side of the aisle has a lock on truth, God's truth. And I, you know, when I, when Senator Scott wrote my foreword, I said, Senator, I really, you know, I don't work in democratic politics, so I don't know the Democrats as well as I know the Republicans where I've spent all of my career. And I said, it's so important to me that people know that this book and its principles have nothing to do with partisan agendas. It has everything to do with kingdom principles. And so if you could help me find somebody on the other side of the aisle that would be willing to read my book and endorse it, that would mean the world to me because I don't, I, that, that, that really matters to me. So aside from my pastor, who I think really falls left of center um, in his politics, I had Senator Chris Coons, Senator Scott asked Senator Chris Coons to endorse my book. And his words were so meaningful to me because I really don't believe that I have a lock on truth. I really don't. The more I learn, the less I know in many respects. And I think God likes us to stay humble and he wants us to stay compassionate and curious. And so knowing that there's Shannon's doing that with, you know, bringing in both sides of the aisle, that's the future. That's really the future of our nation is that people of faith or people who just ascribe to these principles, regardless of your faith, can come together and say, look, the future of our nation is dependent on us figuring this out. Let's do this with love, compassion. Let's agree where we can to move the ball forward and where we're separated. Let's respect one another and not try to change each other's minds, but figure out how we can compromise moving forward. And I know compromise has been seen as a nasty word in politics, which is really sad because I don't think that if you have a zero sum, zero sum game mentality, you're going to go into every political conversation, whether it's at the Thanksgiving table or on the floor of the Senate, as if it was a blood sport. And that's just not the reality 
of, of who we are as Americans. We're so much better than these extremes. And we can have conversations and figure out where we agree to make life better for all Americans. Mm-hmm. And how did Jesus teach us the importance of meeting our political enemies on their own <laughs> turf? <laughs> I think that you know oh, goes beautifully goodness. with what we're talking about. Absolutely. I mean, every time he went in, he went in with a spirit of honor. This is something that I think is so lacking when we engage with people on the other side of the aisle. So often we're tempted to just tell them that they're wrong or you're bad. And Jesus never went after them directly. He always said, look, he would he would raise their sights into the higher principles of God and urge them to be he would live a life It was through his example of love and service. He was a servant to those who wanted to kill him even. He always laid down his life whilst holding unapologetically to the truth. And he would serve them and they would be, their hearts would break and they would come around to his way of seeing things, not because of how clever his words were, but because of how well he loved and served them. So when we go in with that spirit, that attitude, it fundamentally shifts the conversation and the nature of how we engage with others. And it actually changes us, even if we don't feel it when we go in, even if we're combative on the inside and we're just putting on a smile. When we ask God to help us truly love our enemies and to honor them, to respect them, it changes us from the outside in. And that's the beauty of it is like we, when we operate in God's strength, we can actually call on the Holy Spirit to help change our hearts as we walk out what he asks us to do in obedience. That is really like the winning formula for me because I rarely engage in a conversation that's going to be difficult, getting excited about how I can love my enemy. God really has to show me. He says, be obedient, walk it out, set your intentions to love and speak the truth. And don't compromise on either. And I will do the job of changing your heart so you actually love the person you're engaged in. And it always happens 100% of the time that I get to that place. Mm. What a wonderful conversation. Uh, The book Mm. is called Politics for People Who Hate Politics. Uh, And where can people find this wonderful book? It is on uh, my publisher's website, Baker Books. It's on Amazon. It's in Barnes & Noble starting tomorrow, November 14th. Mm. And so I am so excited for this opportunity to share with you of all people, someone who shares my faith, somebody that I look up to so much. You are always shining a light for Jesus. You can see it in everything that you do, Janice. And I'm so grateful that you're positioned in a place where people may not hear the gospel spoken by you, but your very life, your demeanor, and your spirit just speak volumes for the love of God within you for people. So thank you for what you do, and thank you for having me on. Oh, my goodness. You just brought tears to my eyes. <laughs> ah, Denise, thank you. We'll have you back for sure, and um, and happy Thanksgiving to you, uh, and I think we need to have more of these conversations now more than ever. Same to you, Janice, on all fronts. God bless you. God bless you, too. Thanks again to Denise for sharing her incredible wisdom from her new book, Politics for People Who Hate Politics, How to Engage Without Losing Your Friends or Selling Your Soul. So timely for the next few weeks, of course, as we plan our family and friend get-togethers, holiday parties, and Thanksgiving dinners. And speaking of Thanksgiving, I want to thank all of you for listening to the podcast this past year. I think we're up to almost a million downloads, which is such an honor. 
I really enjoy bringing all of these kinds of discussions to you. I look forward to doing more in the new year. And don't forget, you can also nominate someone to be on the Dean's List. You can find me at Janice Dean on X and Facebook, Janice Dean FNC over on Instagram and Threads too. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have a safe and wonderful holiday. And before I go, I wanted to share a little poem I think of every Thanksgiving by Ralph Waldo Emerson. It's called Rest and Shelter. He writes, For each new morning with its light, for rest and shelter of the night, for health and food, for love and friends, for everything thy goodness sends. And God bless you all. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.